this is Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder of Nasty Gal and the author of Girl Boss, hashtag Girl Boss, if you please. We're here at the Nasty Gal headquarters in downtown Los Angeles. Every week I'm going to be talking to kick-ass girl bosses to find out how they got to where they are today. Today's our first episode. I am so excited and we have such a great guest. She's an Oscar winner, a mother, the head of her own production company, the founder of Charlize Theron Africa Outreach Project and a UN Messenger of Peace. Wow. I said that all in one breath. Actually, I didn't. I'm so excited to have Charlize on the show. Charlize, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Oh my God, you're not feeling well. No, I'm not. And I, I got to tell you, it's very, there's a handful of people I would do this for in the oh state that I'm in right Thank now. Thank you so much. I love you. You Thank know I you. love you. Okay, we're, so this show is called Girl Boss Radio. Mm. And I want to talk about all kinds of stuff. But I do want to talk about your career, how you got your start. So you grew up in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And then when did you get out of South Africa? And how did you end up in this room with me? In two minutes. Yeah, 30 seconds. (laughs) In 30 seconds. I left when I was three weeks after I turned 16. Cool. And And you're modeling, right? I was modeling. I left. I went to Italy. It was the first place that I went to. And then I modeled there for a little bit. I modeled all over Europe. But I I went to the art school in Johannesburg for ballet. That was my life. I wanted to be a ballerina. Cool. So... The modeling thing was just weird to me. I was kind of like fluky. It was one of those like things where friends sit in a photograph and it was a joke and then I ended up winning this contest and then before I knew it I was learning how to pout and do fish face. And do the, do it for me. Mm. <laughs> I think that might be a little smizing. Was it a little smizing? Smize, do you know what smizing yeah, is? Yeah, I totally know what smizing is. Ty- Tyra. Uh-huh. Um, I, I can smize. So then I kind of traveled around and... I was really loving that everywhere I went, I could pick up ballet somewhere. So creatively, I was really happy. I was really um, satisfied. And then modeling was not creatively satisfying to me, but was the most incredible waitressing job ever because you could do like one job and have enough money for like three months. Mm -hmm. And that's what I ended up doing with that job. And I'm eternally grateful that I had that. But... Once I was told that I couldn't dance anymore, which was around 18. Did you get injured? I had a ton of in- small injuries that just accumulated into one, another another small one that made a doctor just say, you have to stop. And it was only once I couldn't do that anymore that I went into this really deep depression. I'm sure. And I had no idea why I loved it so much because I never had to kind of examine why I loved it. Because once, when you're young and you're doing something that you love, you don't think about the consequences of losing. What does it mean, or why do you love it, or anything like that? And I remember living. It was the winter. It was December, early December in New York. I was living in a friend's basement with no windows, and I hadn't left for like two weeks. And I was eating like pints of Haagen Dazs, just sitting on the couch. And my mom flew out, and she basically said. Uh, you can do this, by the way, in South Africa. We have couch and we have ice cream. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing? And What's your mom's name? Gata. Cool. But we call her G. 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 And so I had to really, you know, take a deep look into what it was about that that I loved so much. And 
I came to realize that it was storytelling and escapism. Like I needed something where I could could go and tell stories and escape, and that was what I was missing. And I really didn't know if acting would be it, but I was definitely willing to give it a shot, even though I had absolutely no idea how people became actors. I literally thought like Tom Hanks was some guy who worked at a coffee shop, and every once in a while he got to like make a movie, you know. <laughs> like, but I knew what happened in this place called Hollywood. So my mom bought me a one-way ticket, and when the ticket, when I got the ticket, I said to the guy, "You made a mistake. It says Los Angeles. I want to go to Hollywood." Oh my God! <laughs> wow. So that's how naively I kind of showed up at the doorstep of Hollywood. What was was there culture shock? What was what was it like to land in Hollywood? Yeah, but it's amazing, you know, because you're 18 years old and you're kind of the adventure is so. Exciting, you know. When I think about my mindset back then, I think. I mean, now that I'm a parent, I think about a mother letting a child go at 16 to go and live in Italy and be a model and do all this stuff, and then, you know, buy them a one-way ticket to Hollywood to go try and act. I mean, we were just so. I think because we were so distant from everything, we had this kind of very innocent idea of what it was, and I think a lot of that helped me out. You know, I think if I knew. If I really knew what Hollywood was about, and I really knew how hard it was to become an actor, I don't think I would ever. I would have never come out. Yeah. But I really thought it was just like finding a like a job at a coffee shop. Like yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah, totally. I'm here to act. I like to say that being naive is. Like, it's a good you know, thing, and someone it can also told be me very... what building nasty gal would be like. I'd be like, yeah. mm, I'm gonna keep working at this photo lab. I was naive about that, but I was not naive about myself and my head on my own shoulders totally. like all of that stuff I understood but yeah, yeah there's my crazy story cool <clears throat> how do you think that your upbringing or your mom has influenced the, the, roles. the roles that you've chosen I think we we don't get to choose our parents or the circumstances that we get raised in and you can kind of walk through life thinking that that's the glass half empty or the glass half full I, I, I find myself looking at the glass almost completely full because I had one parent who really truly wasn't selfish in her parental duties. I mean, the you you would have to be a pretty secure person and a pretty selfless person to let your child go and find a better life for themselves. You know, there's a lot of people that I think parents who not for the right reasons would hold their kids back, but would do it for selfish reasons, you know. And my mother never had any of that. My mother had this real urge to kind of yeah. always encourage me, no matter what it was. Were you guys well off? Like, what was life like? We were we were always good, but we also, we went through periods where nobody knew how bad we were, you know. Mm-hmm. My, my father liked to spend money. And there's a lot of ways of hiding that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until um, after his death where we realized just um, how bad it really was. You know, Did she keep you from that or was that always? Yeah, she really tried to protect me from yeah. a lot of that. And, you know, by then I was more of an adult. You know, I was 17 years, 16, 17 years old. And, and she was yet again, you know, could have said, come home. This is too hard just kind of kept encouraging me to keep going and anything that was kind of positive she was really and but never became a monitor what is it is that momager yeah never became manager. a mo- yeah never became that the visual <laughs> of the, you know this little blonde girl in africa and like her cool mom like sending her off into the world and then fast forward and she's just made this amazing life for herself and yeah. is a mother and you've chosen every single piece of of your world along mm-hmm. the way it doesn't seem like 
life has really happened to you, which could very well have been the case. I think it's I think a that's incredible. Of both. Yeah. Yeah. It I happens. think a lot of stuff happens. You know, when I think of how I met my first manager, I was just in a bank and it was one of the most craziest. I mean, I was st- standing in line in a bank trying to cash an out of state check because I was trying to pay my weekly rent at the farmer's daughter. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't cash it. And I, you know, I was like, you don't understand. Like, I'm sleeping under, under an underpass tonight. Like, you have to. And this guy was like, do you need help? And ends up being my manager. Like, it's just crazy. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's like, that stuff is just life so is like a, rab- it's like a rabbit hole. I just find, yes, things just happen serendipitously. But at the same, don't you feel that way about your life? It's because you're digging. Yeah, We've talked, yeah, yeah. We talked about the we rabbit have. hole, actually. Yes, we have. Last time we had dinner. Um, yeah, you got to keep digging. You know, I met. You have to. I moved to L.A. with Nasty Gal. And not long after, I got an attorney yeah. who I needed to, like, negotiate contracts with my, yeah. you know, the contractor for my house. Yeah. You know, basic stuff. And I got somehow introduced to this entertainment attorney at Zippin Brittenham, yeah. Gary Stiffelman, who also officiated our wedding. And he was like, dude, I can do way more than negotiate stuff with your like plumber or contractor. You know? <clears throat> I was like, well, like what? And he was like, well, books, TV. And I was like, TV, I don't know, man. That kind of scares me. And I was like, book sounds cool. He was like, well, let me introduce you to the head of the literary department at WME. And then the book was successful. I'm TV, I'm, you know, I live in L.A. It's now something that like I'm like, hmm. Maybe it's something that I that would be interesting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a nay? <laughs> anyway, it's just like, and then, then, you know, good people beget good people. I've found such great people just through like this origin of one introduction. Let's talk about the pay gap. Yeah. There was the Sony hack. And we all heard that men are paid more than women, which we already knew. Yeah. But we knew for a fact. Somehow seeing it. Yeah. Seeing it written down on paper. Wait, so fact. you found out that... Well, no, I, I, I was shocked. I, I guess what we just said. Like, I, I knew that a lot of that was going on, and then it just kind of hit. It, it was a straw that broke the camel's back for me, that, that hack. And it was so fresh and... There was a sensitivity about it that was just kind of in the air. And the next film that I was that I was asked to go and do was I had a deal in place to go and do a sequel for Snow White and the Huntsman. And I love those guys. They're mm-hmm. my family. Um, and they've been really, really good to me. And, you know, somebody brought up the conversation of that. And, and by the way, Chris Hemsworth is probably one of my top 10 favorite people in the whole world. Oh my god, he's Thor. I mean, I'm not into muscly guys, but that guy, there's something about that guy. He's heaven on toast. He's just delicious. I wish there wasn't more than one of them because I get their first names confused, but the (laughs) Thor guy is my favorite. But anyway, I, you know, I really loved working on that film and and the film was received really well and on like a basis of all of us. And so when we went back to go do it, it was just kind of like this... I have to say, I got. I have to give Universal credit. They they just really treated it. That was just, just so such that an wasn't easy a hard thing. Yeah. No, That's it cool. was just. I think some studios have actually woken up to it, and they don't want to be a part of it anymore. It's better just to check the box than have to deal with like the fallout of. Yeah. Making bad decisions or trying to cut corners in any way for I any think, company. I think a lot of this stuff is because of how we used to do things. And we get stuck in that. And because there's not a lot of transparency in it, or there's not enough transparency mm-hmm. in it, we forget 
to actually break that mold because time has moved on, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's that, that happens with a lot of stuff. And I do think that we're at a really, really interesting point right now where this could really change. What has been your favorite role? I mean, you've played such complex women. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and so you're a new mom again. I am, yeah. And you have a daughter? Oh God, thank you so much for the cute baby stuff. That was oh, yeah. so sweet. Yeah, you know, it's funny when people adopt, because we have a friend named Laverne who also just adopted recently, and she do- adopted some an old, a daughter who's a little older. Yeah. She's not a baby. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, oh, my God, I knew that that had happened. But it's not like, oh, you have nine months to, like, "Mm, yeah, I'm going to put, like, buy a gift on my calendar. It's just like, oh, I just heard that that (laughs) happened. And and you're also – it's just different. So I just feel like adoptive moms should probably get the same treatment as – You know? That's very sweet. But I think maybe people don't think about that. And it took me a beat. And anyway, what's your daughter's name? August. Cool. How old is she? She's a she's a nugget. I always say this. I said this when I got when my, when my son came into my life. It's the one thing parenting is the one thing in my life that so surpassed how great I thought it would be. Wow. Like I thought it was going to be pretty great and then I was like, "Oh, wow. Like this is really really great." Trust me, there are days where I want to kill myself. Yeah. And then there's an hour of just unbelievable bliss and cuteness that just erases all of that and yeah. you forget about it. How about you? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, working on it, but not that hard. It's like only if it doesn't come easy will yeah. I make it like a something I professionalize. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we only got married because we want to be parents. Yeah. It was just like, oh, yeah, it'd be probably cool if the parents got married. <laughs> and be like, well, maybe let's do that before we have a kid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Cool, we're going to get married. You said that you would never get married, right? I said I would never get married until the laws changed. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they changed. Yeah, now I'm screwed. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, it wasn't just to make some kind of a statement. I, I never grew up dreaming about getting married. Mm-hmm. And in all of my relationships, I was Same. really happy. I never got to a place where I was like, well, now I want to get married. I've, I always, I, when I think of all the boyfriends that I've had, I feel like I've married all of them. Mm-hmm. So in real life, I've been married. Have you also you know, divorced eight. all of them? Oh, yeah, fully. <laughs> so... Yeah, I felt a little bit, you know, I come from a country wh- where there was such an awareness of inequality. And so I just, I anything in my life that makes me feel like I'm part of something that's not for everyone, I don't know, maybe it's just innately in my bones, but... Um, Isn't there so much of your life that's not for everyone, though? Like, couldn't you, couldn't you say that? Not legally. Not, no. You're not going out of your way. No, not legally. Yeah, I feel like legally... Right. I mean, it might be my choice or it might be somebody else's yeah. choice, but I, I, I have so many incredible um, friends, gay, lesbian friends, who would chew off their left arm to want to be married mm-hmm. and couldn't. And so that was just, I just could never, I just never, and thank God I was always with guys who totally understood that and felt secure enough. And But I get it now that, you know. Was there ever any, th- any relationship that ended because you were like, no, nah, I'm not going to marry you? Never. Do you have a lot of girlfriends, like girlfriends, and have you always, and how has that evolved as you've gotten older? Because when I was younger, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends, and now I really cherish my yeah. friendships with women. We actually kind of met through a mutual friend, girlfriend, Horatzi. Yeah. yeah. When I was in school, I only had like two really, really good friends, and then it ended up being like one really good girlfriend who's still my girlfriend today. 
the girls that were like the clique. I was not excluded from it, but I never felt like I was truly a part of it. I also think when you're in school and I was in a smaller school, just there's very little possibilities outside of what you have. That's it. So you kind of get stuck with the the cards that you're dealt there. And then when I went and explored in my life, the world is your oyster. And so Do I you met, like oysters? I love oysters. Oh. <laughs> and so I met a lot of amazing women from the age of 16 until me, you know, being now 29. <laughs> and so... I've always had more girlfriends. I like guys and I have good guy friends, but I'm way more of a girl's girl. Cool. But I also don't have like a ton of girlfriends. Yeah. I have, you know, a handful of what is like my family, how my do you, core. How do you find time to stay in touch with the people that you care about? You're, I mean, you've, I'm sure right. you're well, extremely you busy. Know, the friends who have been in my life for like 20 years are the friends that have seen me through the periods where, you know, I'm stuck in a movie, on a movie in Namibia for eight months and it's really impossible to be connected constantly. And, and they have the patience and the forgiveness to understand that, the empathy to just to get it mm-hmm. and that you can kind of come back and pick up like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And and that's very, very hard to find. And, uh, and that's also how you kind of, I feel, that's when you know when you have, like, real solid friends. Because when it's easy, like anything, like a relationship, of course it's easy. It's it's when, it's like when time, life happens. Time is suspended and <clears throat> you see that in one another yeah, and again. I, and I always say, when, you know, life life is a very real thing and it happens to all of us. And it's the people who can kind of remember that instead of just kind of going, well, me, 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 I, 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 you know. and. Mm-hmm. The ones that are selfless and the ones that love you through uh, maybe not your so not so pretty moments. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had like a group of three girlfriends who've been like my sisters. Like Mm -hmm. they've been so ingrained. They're they're my mentors. They're the girls that inspire me. That you know make me laugh until I pee my pants. They're. Mm -hmm. um, Do you pee? Have you ever peed your? Oh, laughing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's have you how, ever pooped your pants? That's how good my friends are. Have you pooped your pants I, as an adult? I have pooped my pants. I pooped my pants when I picked up a virus in uh, <gasps> Africa, in oh, Central no. Africa, and I was there on a trip for the UN. I got it from eating uh, raw eggs, and I pooped my pants. Why, yeah. did you, why did you eat raw eggs? I didn't know it was raw eggs. <laughs> okay, okay. I, <laughs> ate a, I ate some dish that, that Duh, they Charlize. made for me, and, <laughs> no. and I, I was I well, by the time I came home. With the poo in my pants, mm-hmm. I ended up in mm-hmm. at Cedars for like five days. Oh my god, like, that's awful! And I have no recollection of it. I don't remember it at all. I was so it was like amnesia poop. It was it was a lot of poop and uh, no memory of it. Wow. So that's why I can talk about that's it. That's good. Easily. Yeah, you've like you blocked it out. It's <laughs> pretty cool. So I'm just going to ask some advicey questions and then maybe oh god, do some. Are you sure? Advice. Oh, come on. From me? It's Girl Boss Radio. There's a whole world of girls, like, (laughs) starting their lives. started sweating. What has been the hardest lesson of your career? And what three tips to making shit happen or being just, like, the boss of your life would you give to girls who are trying to figure that out? Yeah, I think early in my career, like all of us when we're young, we're just filled with piss and vinegar. And I now, you know, being wiser and older, I look back and I think of all the times in my early 20s where I just, I was sweating the small stuff. When I was younger, and I think this is a common thing, and I hear it a lot with young girls, is like you just kind of get caught up in the moment and then you can't let it go. It just stays with you. And mm-hmm. I think in the work environment, it's a good thing to never forget, but you got to kind of like, you can't make it like be the end of the world. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't do that. Like I, 
I think of maybe all the bridges that I burned back then because I was just like, no, like somebody did something yeah. that I just could not fucking get over myself, uh -huh. you know? And and I'm now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, why did I even take it so personally? Like, what was it about me that made me be so affected by this person that I never wanted to work with? I never want to see her. If I saw them, I would, you know, it was just yeah. so over the top. Yeah. So I guess I would say, like, just chill, like, chill, like, just don't let people affect you that way. That was, I think, a big thing for me when I was younger. And then what was your other question? Just three pieces of advice for girls who are trying to be the boss of their own life, oh. who might be flying across the world on a plane at 16 <laughs> years old with wide eyes, just like, what now? The first thing I, I, I always say is passion. Find something that you have passion for because then you'll always want to do it and you, you will want to get out of bed at 5 a.m. every morning for the rest of your life. If it's something that you don't have passion for in three years, you're not going to want to go and do it anymore. So something, that job that doesn't feel like a job, that's, that's what I, I always like tap into that thing that you really like mm -hmm. so that it, there's some longevity there and that, that feeling that it gives you. Resilience and hard work. Good old-fashioned advice. I know, right. Yeah. <laughs> From the farm. Just, you know, nothing comes easy. If it came easy, everybody else would be doing it. So don't yeah. ever sit back and scream about why it's not being fed to you in a, on a silver spoon. It takes a lot of hard work and a lot of sweat. And the people who go and do it, who work twice as hard as you, are the ones that are going to get the job and they're the ones that are going to succeed. And, mm -hmm. and so unless you're willing to put the hours in, don't expect great things to come your way mm -hmm. with anything in life. That's true. And then I would just say that I really believe in creating something in your work environment as a girl boss that when we do things for the right reasons and for good reasons, we, we pick good fruits. And so I think sometimes that's easily left behind once we kind of become successful and we kind of... Mm -hmm. um, you become addicted to your own like trajectory yeah. or something. And like. it's a good thing to stop and kind of look at the rest of the world and not just in your bubble, not just being in your bubble, exploring and traveling and seeing how other people live and, and seeing how other people eat and how other people don't eat mm -hmm. and coming home and seeing that your fridge is full of food. That stuff is important because I think humanity comes to play when, when we do anything great in our life. Well, Charlize, thank you so much. Aww. This was really fun. You're so it's sweet. It's good to see you, even though you're sick. <clears throat> I will no. take your your illness anytime. <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah. This is so awesome. I'm so proud of you. I'm thank so you. proud. Of thank you. you so much. All right, that was our first episode of Girl Boss Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week, so please tune in. Our producer is Shara Morris. And thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply, the guys who made this happen. I'm so excited. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Girlboss or email us at podcast at girlboss.com. You can find me, Sophia underscore Amoruso on Twitter or Sophia Amoruso without the underscore on Instagram. It's A-M-O-R-U-S-O. -S it's phonetic. It's not that hard. And it rhymes with armadillo. And if you like the show, please tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe, but only if you like us. It helps other people discover our show and maybe create a future where there are more girl bosses. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>